He's your curly head mate who's ready to go Nobody knows snow like reggae no snow He's ready to blow like an atomic reactor This is the show where we call it Chill Factor Talk on the pow, are you ready right now? There's icons galore and they're ready to chow We got more power than a snowflower tractor Dropping the clutch, yeah, this is Chill Factor G'day, I'm Reggae Ellis and welcome to the Chill Factor podcast presented by Swiss Tourism. My guest for this episode is Austrian-Australian professional free skier and 2017 Freeride World Tour champion Lorraine Huber. Now Lorraine was born in Austria but moved to Australia with her Australian mum when she was eight years old and grew up in Torquay going to school in Geelong. So how does a girl from Torquay become Freeride World Champ? Well, every Christmas holidays, Lorraine and her sister would head back to Austria and spend time with their father in Lech, a ski resort in the Alberg where their dad was a ski instructor. Uh, Lorraine's skiing developed every year and she also became a ski instructor and a qualified mountain guide by the time she finished school. Now, after finishing school in Australia, Lorraine headed across to Austria for what was meant to be a 12-month gap year, but she ended up staying, attending university in Vienna and continuing to follow her passion for skiing. Now, Leck and the Alberg have some incredible off-piece terrain, and Lorraine developed a love for free skiing, which drew her into competition and a 10-year career on the Freeride World Tour, and that culminated in her being crowned world champ in 2017. Now, since retiring from competition, Lorraine completed her master's degree in mental strength coaching and now works in that field, uh, working with athletes and business leaders, and her and her partner are also expecting their first child in a couple of months. Now, Lorraine has a great understanding of what it takes to succeed, and this is a conversation any aspiring athlete should listen to. Let's drop in. Lorraine Hubert, thanks for joining us here at Chill Factor. Thanks for having me. Well, um, we finally made it. Yeah, we finally <laughs> made it. You had a couple of little technical hiccups last week, but um, good to finally get things underway. Of course, well, last time I saw you was. Um, in the bar of a hotel in your hometown of Lek when I was there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That would have been a while ago. 2013, in fact. Oh, wow. Look at you in your memory. Well, it's, it's easy because I've got the um, copy of the Chill uh, Factor with you on the cover. And, uh, yeah, that's a beautiful cover. I love it. Yeah, no, it is pretty awesome. And, um, of course, um, you know, I was there and the, uh, I think Austrian Tourism lined us up for me to get, um, they said, you've got to talk to our Aussie Austrian. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Lorraine Hubert, she's um, half Australian, half Austrian, of course, and um, living in Lek for a long time. But it's an interesting story, Lorraine, you know, like you grew up in Torquay from year eight and you end up winning the Freeride World Tour in 2017. Like not many people from Janjuk Torquay have won Freeride World Tours. No, um, that's right. So, hang on, not from year eight. So I moved to Australia. I was born in Austria. I grew up in Lech. My dad is from Lech. Yeah. So yeah. For, for those people who don't know, Lech is part of the largest ski area in Austria. It, it's like it's an amazing ski resort. I, I always say it's the best in the world. I know I'm biased, but it's easily top three yeah. in the world. So I literally grew up 100 metres away from the closest ski lift. Yeah. So I was exposed to skiing uh, early. And then when I was eight, I moved to Australia, moved to Torquay. Yep. My mum's Aussie. Um, and I was, yeah, I lived in Torquay for 10 years, went to school in Geelong and I loved it there. But I didn't ski in Australia. I just didn't have, um, yeah, we, we didn't ski there except, you know, the the odd uh, um couple of trips that we did. Odd day in the but fog I, at Mount Buller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are those what are those uh games called in VC? I did those. Oh the interschools. Yeah, the interschools. So yeah, that was fun. Um but what we did get to do, and this was incredible obviously, but every year in our summer holiday, my sister and I would fly back to Lech, back to Austria to be with our dad. And so yeah. we spent five weeks a year skiing in Lech and of course it was winter in Lech so I'm so grateful yeah that I got to do that because I was still able to ski those five weeks it de definitely very different lifestyle to you know other people who are in Lech and they they basically training and 
skiing every week and in in the ski club Arlberg maybe training three four times a week so it was you know all all winter but it did give me a really good base so I'm grateful well like you said you mentioned Lek you know it's just down the road from Santon the the Arlberg that Mm -hmm. uh, region in Austria and it's uh you know having been there it is an amazing part of the world and what struck me when I was in there and I was in Austria again last year just up the road at Fieberbrunn um Skiing oh, is in the fabric of Austrian culture, a bit like surfing is in Australia, you know. And um, obviously, yeah. that your dad, you see, your dad a ski instructor. Yeah, he instructed for forty years. Yeah, my dad. So, and he still rips. He's seventy six, and he's he loves skiing. Although he actually prefers golfing now, but <laughs> oh well, he's seventy six. He's allowed to play golf. Yeah, um, but he's a great skier. And, and so with that, you like every year you go back for those school holidays from time of 8 to 18, you end up doing your, your VCE, which is the final exams uh, in in Victoria. And then with, was the decision then to after once you left school, head over to Austria and um, hang out for a while? Yeah, so I was... I had enrolled at Deakin University and I was going to take a gap year. I was yeah. just going to take a year off. My mum always encouraged us kids to travel and see the world. And my sister was already back in Europe, yeah. um, really close to her. So that, you know, was another draw card. But I was basically going to spend a year in Europe, um, do some ski instructing, some traveling, and then I was going to come back. Yeah. But then, you know, poor mum, I don't think it took too long until I had to tell her, look, Mom, I'm going to stay. Yeah. I was just, yeah, Europe had so many exciting opportunities. I, you know, I had various reasons. It wasn't the skiing yet at all, which is what you might think, but it was actually more I want to improve my German. So, like, we grew up bilingually, but since we were in, in Australia from 8 until 18, my German, although it was fluent, I had it, quite an accent. And some, I, I made some grammatical errors and I couldn't write, like, I could write German, but I never learned to write German really correctly. Yeah. So I wanted to really improve my German. I wanted to spend time with my dad, with my family over there and, uh yeah, one thing kind of led to the next, and I actually ended up um, studying business management in Vienna. Yeah. Um, in my previous life, I was like, no, I don't want to go to Innsbruck. Like, I want to go to a proper city and expose yeah. myself to like culture and that kind of thing. The skiing stuff came quite late with me. I'm a real late starter with that. Well- I mean, you talk about you, you're working as a ski instructor. Okay. When you were at university in Vienna, I presume you still went back to Lek in holiday breaks and kept skiing. Well, yeah. How, I mean, you did six years on the free ride world tour, six or seven years, culminating in the world champion in 2017. I mean, how'd you go from a ski yeah. instructing on holidays to being winning the free ride tour, which is the gnarliest big mountain free skiing in the world? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I never dreamt I would get that far. Yeah. I, I can tell you that honestly. Okay. So you're right. I was working as a ski instructor about, it was like six, seven weeks a year. So in Austria, when if you go to university, you still get a lot of holidays. So in that time, although I was instructing during the day, I would always go ski with my buddies at ski school after after work, like every day. And um, so that was a start. But I I have to really give credit as well to, you know how I was saying I had those five weeks every year yeah. as a girl? Because I started skiing off-piece when I was like every day for five weeks. Yeah. From the age of about, I think I was 14. Yeah. And although it wasn't had nothing to do with free riding at the time, like um, it was, you know, super short turns in the fall line, rhythmical. We were taught yeah. to sp- spoon tracks. We never jumped or anything like that. But I learned to, to turn in all snow conditions, like yeah. if it was crusty, whatever it was, and just to 
develop an eye for terrain. And I think that's quite unusual at that age to ski off piece so much. And, you know, I was skiing with like just with the normal guests um, a lot we have from Germany who were coming to the ski school groups. And luckily the ski school Lech has a a ski school system where the top groups are just really good skiers and they're skiing off piece every single day. So it's actually not, it's not really ski instruction, it's guiding. Yeah. So we just follow the guide and he just, you know, shows us the the best snow on that day and uh, keeps the risk levels down. And it's just, yeah, I just got so much routine off-piste. And the terrain, you know, Lech mm -hmm. has pretty awesome terrain within easy access as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what really makes the Alberg unique that the access is incredible yeah it's just amazing and we get really good um above average snow levels as well you can always find some good snow somewhere you know yeah. even early season when there's not much snow we have plenty of options where you just have more grassy knolls and yeah. it's just insanely good it really yeah. is so I was very lucky to get that opportunity because I was skiing off piece every day for four, five hours. Yeah. And I loved it. And I had people who were probably three times my age in the group. Like they didn't have a a youth group. Yeah. I did not care. I didn't, I was just so stoked on skiing off piece. I loved it. Well, was there any sort of like Austria, obviously ski racing is huge. It's like the national sport in Austria and you produced ridiculous amount of uh, Olympians and medalists. Um, but free riding when you were a kid, I mean, mm-hmm. was there any free ride culture in Austria or any programs or was it just something that? Nothing. Nothing. Whereas, nothing. So how did that evolve? You know, like you prior to going on the um, the qualifying events on the Free Ride World Tour, what experience did you have in free ride comps or, yeah, performing under pressure in, in that kind of situation? Oh, yeah. I was such a greenhorn. So, I mean, the Freer World Tour didn't really come into existence before 2008. I started competing in earnest in 2008. Um, So before then, there were some events like the Rebel Snow Thrill in Chamonix and they had one event in Slovenia one year, which was actually the first Freer competition I ever went to in yeah. 2004 just because my friends at ski school said hey Lorraine you should go to this competition like give it a go I hadn't heard of it but I was like oh okay yeah. you know their encouragement you know helped me to basically decide okay I'm going to give it a go and there was only me plus two other girls I think that's right so it was tiny uh starting field and I didn't jump anything I just kind of skied down quickly and yeah. ended up winning (laughs) but you know I got my first um little um equipment contract through that um but it was very it was a gradual process like these days I mean you know the kids are growing up with junior competitions and then they go to the qualifiers and they're 18 and they're qualified for the Freer World Tour. I started free riding when I was 18. So, you know, obviously I had skied off piste, but I'd yeah. never jumped off cliffs. I'd never even done long turns. And my, you know, my first free ride ski had 76 millimeters underfoot. It was yeah, the Salomonic exactly. screen, was my first free ride ski. Yeah. So the way I was exposed to it, to answer your question, is through snowboarders. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. I skied in like, you know how I said we would always ski after ski school? Yeah. Like the, you know, I always joined this big group of friends and a lot of them were snowboarders and they were already actually playing really creatively on the mountain. Like they were shaping booters in the backcountry, looking for cliffs to jump off, uh, slashing turns. Like they just had good style. They were much more creative, whereas all the skiers were just, like especially at the Alberg, this I can only speak to the Alberg. You know, in in Chamonix, it was probably very different because I I think Andrea Binning was already skiing professionally yeah. at that time. Yeah, she started but, late '90s. Yeah, there you go. Okay, because I remember really looking up to her. But um, 
the Alberg is super conservative and it still is. Like St. Anton is different. There, there's more free riders there. But if you go to Lechensurs, it's very conservative. People are still scooping tracks. Yeah. People yeah. are still on, you know, fairly narrow gear well, in the ski groups and ski school groups. And, uh, but yeah, the snowboarders were, that was my ticket to free riding. And yeah. I was 18. And so this is, a really clear memory that I have. We were working at ski school and it was dumping. It was like for the whole week, people couldn't come in and out of Lech. Um, you you get into Lech through a tunnel system yes. and through a pass and they couldn't avalanche, do any avalanche control on the pass. So it was closed. So people were getting super nervous and, you know, they needed to, to go back to work and stuff. So the weather was atrocious, but amazing for us because it was dumping. Yeah. And we didn't have work. So we ended up just um, lapping this one lift that they kept open. And I kept like for the first time, like jump, tried jumping over this cliff. I didn't ever land it because I couldn't really see the landing or anything and nor did I know what I was doing. But I remember on Thursday it cleared up and then, like, it was war zone, like, all these helicopters in and out and all the clients were trying to leave all oh, our yeah. guests. So we still didn't have work. And then I remember, um, like, for the first time skiing over that cliff, landing it, and then blinking three long turns afterwards. And I was like, whoa, like, this is what skiing can be like? I want, I want, this is what I want to do. Right. So it sort of broke you out of that sort of short swing yeah, stick to the groomers most of the time, and then the no, 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 we weren't piece. in the groomers, we were no, no, always, no, we were I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah but we the, were just you know, like you yeah. weren't reading and scanning terrain, you weren't like looking, hey, wait, what, how can I play with this? Do a slash here or jump here? We were just like straight down the fall line, and yeah. you, you're to scoop tracks, and that's what proper skiing is like, this, like, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. had the freedom of, of the terrain, which is what free yeah. school is. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, just go, heading back a bit, like when you were in Australia, um, obviously going to school in Geelong, um, mm-hmm. your focus there was, you know, university. What did you do in Torquay? So you didn't get, like you had obviously these five to six weeks every year where all you did was ski and obviously that was enough. Um, and, you know, heading up to Buller or Falls or Hotham wasn't something you were doing. So how did you grow up in Australia like those other what were you doing? Did you surf down in Torquay? I surfed, but, you know, I was on my own. I never had anyone to really take me under their wings, so I didn't really get anywhere with it. But what I did do is ballet. Right. So I danced ballet for 10 years in Australia, and I think I really think ballet set me up for a lot of other sports, like climbing especially. I picked up to climbing really quickly, which is, yeah. for me, so much footwork. Um, yeah, ballet you know, teaches you body awareness and coordination and you yeah. learn to watch the movement and copy. And I just think ballet was a really good setup for me. Yeah. But I, I only dance recreational ballet, like yeah. nothing like some of the people here now who dance like five or six days a week where it's super gnarly. It was, it was like two, three days a week or something. Yeah. And then I, I rode horses. I had a couple of horses. I was totally fanatical about that. Uh, played a bit of basketball, like nothing. Yeah, so it's just a well balanced, normal kid. Yeah, and then, totally. And every year, you know, as it, did you see, like, did the excitement level build as you thought, okay, I'm heading back to Lek now? Was it the as you grew up, you think, wow, I'm going skiing again, or I'm just can't yeah. wait to see dad, or can't just wait to go to the mountains? Yeah, totally. We we love going back to Lek and. Oh gosh, I remember also my classmates just they just couldn't believe that no, we they had going, what? Yeah. Yeah. They were like, Oh God, can you please take me with you? Like they couldn't believe that we were we had the privilege to go to Europe every year for five weeks. So I I realized that this is a really special opportunity and um I loved it. Just yeah. loved it. Yep. I mean, look at the time. Obviously, you you didn't know where this was going to lead to. You know, like um, yeah, that all that time as a pro skier, competitive pro skier, and obviously your careers continued after that through filming and things like. I I remember 
like finding the line that the film that Anna and mm-hmm. Matt Siegel did, you know, two yeah. Australian girls grew up in Melbourne, did the classic Australian ski path race through, you know, moguls, you know, race club at Mount Buller, moguls, free skiing, big mountain skiing. Um, and I remember talking to Anna about it and they said, right, we need an expert big mountain skier. Um, mm-hmm. Had you had much to do with them prior to that or did they just call you out of the blue? No, so I knew Nat better. I hadn't crossed paths with Anna. Because oh, Nat was on the free ride world. Yeah, 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 but Nat and I knew each other from comps um, yeah. and from Torquay. We actually surfed together, which was hilarious because we ended up chatting the whole time and just drifting way beyond the lineup. <laughs> yeah. No, so Nat and I had hung out. Um, but I th- that was actually the first time I met Anna. I mean, I obviously knew yeah. of Anna. But yeah, that was that was super cool. I loved joining the girls there. That was really, really awesome. And I was also really, you know, I felt very honored to be able to share any knowledge I could with them. I had also filmed in Alaska before. It's an awesome and, segment, that one in that movie. Yeah. yeah. And we had really tough conditions. Yeah. Conditions weren't ideal. Um, that was awesome. Um, I thought we made a really good team and made the best of of the conditions that we had. Yeah. Alaska's yeah. always the most exciting thing. It really is. I remember yeah. my first Alaska trip, I was so nervous. I was so scared. So I, you know, having, I think it was really smart that the girls um, organized to have someone there to guide them a little bit. Yeah. I mean, of course you have a guide as well yeah. who's, you know, scouting stuff for you and all that. But he actually had like, yeah, so he, but he his role is more safety and stuff like that, yeah, right? Exactly. So he, yeah, it's really cool to have an additional mentor there to to encourage and and share some knowledge and stuff like that. Well, you're experiencing big mountains, you know. Like, okay, you know, I was in Verbier this year when the um, final event, the Freeride World Tour, and that's like the terrain in many of the freeride events is a different level. We're talking massive exposure. 48 yeah. to 55 degree pitches. Like it's a different style of skiing. Um, you know, you get how do you go from like on piece skiing, discovering the the beauty of dropping cliffs and you know, long, drawn-out turns to you know, intimidating um technical terrain. Like I was looking at that going, this is ridiculous, you know. It was yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you we're coming back to this because you know how you asked me, like, how is it possible to go from just being a ski instructor to achieving um, world championship level? So what I had to do is I had to really, like, focus everything on my skiing. Yeah. Because um, I used to, like, I was studying at university I had my own business. Um, we actually set up the first freeride school in Soden. So I was working as a certified ski guide. I was running the business, uh, studying, and that's right. I was also tutor at the marketing department. Tutor where? <laughs> so at the marketing department at university. I had like four different roles. Right. And that's kind of how I've grown up. I've always had a lot of different interests, but I realized or I always felt that I could I could do a lot with my skiing, but I needed to really focus on it. Yeah. And so I actually I had a really bad knee injury. Um, I totally destroyed my right knee, needed a knee reconstruction, and uh, at the same time, I finished my business degree. Yeah. And so here I was for the first time having to really seriously think about, well, what is, what does skiing mean to me? Like, yeah. is it just something that I did next to my studies and yeah. as a ski instructor? Or um, do I really want to go further with this? And luckily, I followed my gut instinct and I would, I just, allowed myself I said to myself okay I'm going to give I'm going to give myself a season just to focus on skiing like I didn't have all the different stuff going on I'm literally going to actually train for myself and see what how far can I take this and then um 
in February of that year, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this professionally. And actually I had a relationship back in, back in um, Australia that broke up because of that. So, you know, I just think to, to be able to become world-class at something, you do have to be quite singular minded and other areas of life do suffer. Like for me, it was personal relationships you know, that was, was hard to bring all that under one hat, as we say in German. Yeah. But, yeah. but the funny thing is, um, Reggae, that I thought I'm going to do this for a couple of years and then I'm probably going to want to move on and do something yeah. different. But what actually happens is the more you get delve into something and the, the higher the complexity gets because you're mastering skills, the more fascinating it becomes. And that's what happened. I just got completely obsessed with it and fascinated. And, you know, how can you navigate through that kind of consequential terrain? How can I improve my technique? How can I deal with the pressure? And there was just so much stuff I wanted to learn. And it was, I felt super passionate about it. So I just had all this drive and just really dedicated myself to it. And it's a lot to do with deliberate practice as well. So, you know, as a, as opposed to just going out and shredding around with your friends, which is awesome, and I obviously did a lot of that, but sometimes, especially when I was skiing on my own, um, I would be very intentional about what I was training on that day. So, right. for example, I would be like, okay, uh, today I want to focus on improving my takeoffs and to do that I know that I need to extend my hip fully at takeoff and I need to really push off the balls of my feet as as my toe piece of my binding hits the edge of the cliff kind of thing so yeah. you know I had very specific things that I would focus my attention on and then I would basically just look at the terrain and try and hit as much stuff as possible. Usually I would lap the same run like 10 times. So, yeah, so I didn't have to waste too much time looking for all different hits. Well, that's how I train and that's how I got better. Well, see, the thing is there, it's very, like I said, it's very solo as, as opposed to more um, regimented disciplines, I suppose, even, you know, mm-hmm. like races, they have a race coach. Mogul skis have a mogul coach. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah park skiers yeah, have a park coach so i mean and obviously there's free skiing coach programs around like the you know my daughter's done a big mountain co- uh free riding cal um, palisades tahoe and cool. yeah mount hotham have a, a free ride coach um cohen benny fall who's completed a number of qualifiers so you're talking about now those junior programs and those junior events are worldwide but what was it like you didn't have a coach so you just no you just, developed your skills I mean that okay. makes it more, it's, it's a different sport you know yeah no you're right I never had a coach um but what I did have and this is to do with being at the Arlberg where there's other ripping skiers not yeah. in Lech mind you I was always the only free rider in Lech yeah. so um I kind of weaseled my way into this skiing group um, all boys who were based in St. Anton. Yeah. And it took me like, it took me a while to become accepted in their group. Um, but basically uh, I started, you know, calling them a lot, like, can I join you and skiing with them and like calling them all the time and probably being really annoying until they <laughs> eventually thought, oh, you know, Lorraine's actually pretty okay. She's not too annoying. Not too annoying. We <laughs> and I became part of the group. And um, they were my everything. Yeah. Like yeah. I would not have gotten to to the level, like nowhere near the level I achieved without my ski buddies, you know, especially Stefan Häusl and Björn Herrecker. They just, they were technically much more advanced than I was. You know, they had all the racing background and Stefan was actually, he was actually my examiner at the, level three ski instructor certification, which is the highest level of ski instructor certification in Austria. It's like one of the best. It's probably yeah. the best in the world. And he was my instructor. So, um, you know, I knew him from that. And he also turned into a, like he went from that whole world of instructing and 
demo skiing and, and transition into free riding. So he was fully obsessed with free riding as well. And that is one of the keys to success. You have to surround yourself with people who are as obsessed as you are and who want to achieve the same goals and who are super motivated. Um, It's not just all about managing yourself. Like you need to create the, the right environment so that you can develop your skills. And we didn't have coaches back then, so... We coached each other and I would I would also ask the boys, I'd be like, okay, like they obviously were very familiar with my skiing and I would ask them for feedback, like what is the next thing I need to work on? I remember doing this specifically once where I expected them to say, you got to work on your like jumping technique and, you know, maybe do something in the park with, with a specialist. But they actually, they told me, you should work on your race turns. And I was like, race turns, which I I wouldn't have seen that myself. No. no. And so I actually ended up getting a, like a proper race ski from Kessler. I was very intimidated at first because it's so not in my world at all. But um, I actually hired Stefan. Um, I paid him. I hired him as my coach for three days for like a couple of, yeah, three days, one autumn, and then another two or three days the next autumn. And yeah. we did full-on, like, groomer <laughs> training. Like gate training or? No, no, we didn't go, in, technique. We didn't so go into just, the gates. Yeah, yep, race on the groomer to perfect his GS turn. Yeah. I remember someone said to me, all good skiing, regardless of what discipline it is, everything starts with a good GS turn. Yep. I, I mean, turning is just the essential in skiing yeah. and it feels amazing like why why not work on that right yeah yeah so uh it shocked me when I first worked with him because he was like Lorraine you're too far forward you've got right. too much pressure on the balls of your feet you need to like move back it wasn't it wasn't a lot but I mean it feels like a massive change I was like are you kidding me like I've been <laughs> skiing like this for <laughs> 30 years or something. Yeah. I can't change that, but it was actually amazing. You can, you can change it. You just have to really direct your focus on it and have a good body awareness. And, you know, he filmed me and we worked on it. And so I changed my skiing position, um, which helped me to ski much faster and more powerfully. Um, it really helped me. Like I'm very grateful to, to Stefan for all that work that we did together. Well, you obviously have an interest in how it all works, like the coaching side of the technique. I know you run that you run those uh, women's progression programs. Yeah, and I was actually reading the story I wrote on this on my trip to the Alberg, and you know, I'm going, well, this I never forget. I was in there taking my boots off, and there's all these free ride skis. These in the Hotel Christberg, mm-hmm. and in in the uh, ski locker room, I'm going, oh, this is weird. Because you know, like I'd been on the mountain all day, and there's no one going off pieces. Yep. But that all the skis belong to um, the women doing your progression program. Oh, cool! I love that. Yeah, and yeah. So, so you, you've you've done that sort of coaching, and then of course, um, after your competitive career, you worked with Hedvig Wessel for um, mm-hmm. a period of time, which. If anyone listening, you get the chance, watch this film called Coach, that series, which is was pretty amazing and pretty raw, you know. Like yeah. um, what was that like, you know? Like, you know, she's appears to be, you know, former mogul skier, just full, fully focused. She's been three-time runner-up on the Freeride World Tour and then you were fresh off competition and coaching one of your former competitors. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, at that point, she was, uh, let me think about this. She hadn't been runner-up on the tour yet. Oh, okay. So we competed together only once at the Extreme Verbier. She had a wild card, I believe. That's right. And that was my last competition of my career where I came third. That was in 2018? Oh, no, actually, I came second. Yeah, that's right. I came second. The seriously the best comp run of my career, and it was only second, but I was so stoked on Who won it. That one? I could have, I could have won it. Um, Ari won it. All oh, right, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, it was it was 
uh, it was we were throwing ourselves into the deep end because Hedvig and I hadn't worked together on the mountain except 10 days at home in Lech, which were awesome. Yeah. But as soon as we got into that competition environment, I felt like it was really difficult to focus on what was important. And Hedvig is used to having a coach in the mogul world that just is very directive. Yeah. As in like, do this, do that, focus on this, focus on that. Whereas my approach uh, to, I wasn't a, a technique coach. I was more like a line coach. Yeah. Um, my approach was I can consult you. I can advise you on things like snow conditions and line choice and, you know, how the judges are going to judge certain aspects of, of the line and certain, um, yeah, that, how the judges are going to see that line. But what I wasn't prepared to do, and it's just something that I believe you need to decide yourself, is to really be like ski this line. Right. Like I really believe that you need to you need to be the judge of that. So you need to choose something that you want to ski, that you're really excited to ski, something that calls to you, keeping in mind, you know, what the next what the next level of progression is for you and I can consult with that but I'm not going to be like okay that's the winning line hit that hit that hit that hit that yeah Yeah. so like we had maybe different we we had expectations that went apart and then I think Hedvig was really not wanting to get into that messiness of figuring all that out while we were at the comps yeah so she kind of like shut me out and you know, I think that was just really hard. We we would have needed to have worked through all that stuff before then putting ourselves in a high stress yeah. competition yeah. environment. So there was that aspect of it. And then we'd already agreed to make a movie about this, so, which is yeah. why we kept going with it. But I think probably otherwise we would have decided to you go our separate ways. And I, I would have been there for her. She had have wanted any help, but you know, yeah. we probably wouldn't have pushed the the issue. But, um, yeah, on the other hand, you know, it is a cool movie, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Katie and Colleen, through us, got this incredible opportunity to see the inside, like, workings of the Frere that they usually wouldn't have access to. No, no. So, you know, in that way, like you say, it is a very raw documentary. You see a lot of really cool new things about the tour that you might not have learned or seen yeah. otherwise. So I think that's no, really it was interesting. A, yeah, really interesting from someone. Yeah. You yeah, see, I you like see, it. you know, just the results in the films and the broadcasts and stuff, you don't really get in there. Um, one thing I noticed, like, when I was in um, at the bottom of the finish line in Verbia in March, there seems to be pretty strong camaraderie between the athletes, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. in it, it's a dangerous sport. You're in dangerous situations. So um kind of reminds me of like surfing, you know, like professional surfing, whether it's somewhere like Chopu in Tahiti or Pipeline. Everyone supports each other. Obviously, you want to beat them. Um, is that one of the attractions of the Free Ride World Tour, that sort of close-knit family style thing? Yeah. Like I remember feeling that already on the qualifiers and then <laughs> On the tour, it's it's enhanced, I think, because you're a smaller group of people who you, you really travel with these Tiny, really, yeah. people all season mm. and you become really good friends. And we, you know, for me, looking back on the tour, like it is cool to win and all that stuff, but like the more valuable experiences are like what you learn along the way and having those days in between comps where you get to go shredding with these amazing skiers. You are also super cool people. Like, it's just such an eclectic mix of different personalities and you have, like, this automatic network of friends around the world. Like, I'm still close to quite a few of the writers and especially Hazel Bielenbaum, we catch up on a regular basis. And, yeah, that camaraderie definitely exists. And I think it is, like you say, because, you know, being being in the same boat, like, you're facing the same challenge. It's not about beating that person. No. It really is about skiing your line, trying to, um, you know, do something fun and creative on the mountain. Everyone is kind of in the same boat. Yeah. And I think especially for the women's field, it's so important to have these competitions because it brings us together yeah. because 
we're super spread out. There aren't very many women. Like at the Alberg, I was always just skiing with guys. Yeah. Never got yeah. to ski with other women. Now there's a couple of other women, but like it it's so important to be able to ski with other women and it's super motivating and you you just need to have that opportunity. So that's what the comps I think um yeah. do also for the women's yeah. level in free riding. It's important to get together. No, definitely. And like since your career, I mean you had you did a bit of commentary for a while on the free ride world tour and now you're a mental strength coach. Now, I've seen um, a series of videos you made. Obviously, for any aspiring athlete, they're incredibly worthwhile. Um, so, no, they are. They're amazing. It's yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> um, but a mental strength coach, how did, what does that entail? And Yeah. You know, you, you did this at university, correct? Did, mm-hmm. Yeah, did a master's in it? Yeah, I did. I did a Master's of Mental Strength Coaching at the University of Salzburg. So in my development as a professional freeride skier, you know, like I covered the obvious bases first, like ski technique, ski gear, dialing in your gear, learning the right competition tactics. Like I was saying, having that group of buddies that you can go train with every day, like nutrition isn't that big a deal in free riding as it is in maybe endurance sports and that kind of thing, yeah. but uh, definitely physical strength and conditioning, regeneration, nutrition, yes, that's all part of it. So I dialed all that stuff in, but I still wasn't able to perform at the comps Yeah, because I was way too nervous and stressed out. And and I I used to think it's because I just didn't have, I just wasn't a good competitor I thought I don't know how to be competitive I'm not mentally tough I just wasn't born that way and then luckily um, I don't know I don't remember how I figured this out was it through a book I read or learned that mental strength is a skill that you can learn just like any physical skill it's something you can actually learn there's a system behind it there are tools you can learn And that's when I was like, okay, this sounds really interesting. And because I had struggled for so long with the whole mental game, I just, I got fascinated by that. And I completely delved into that whole world. And for me, it was the last, the last puzzle piece of how I won the world championship. You know, everything else was in place. Obviously, can't just be the mental strength side where you're like super mentally tough, but you don't have the ski technique. That's not going to work. But if you have everything else covered and and you're mentally tough, like the potential of increasing your performance is massive. And so many people don't work on that aspect of their performance. Well, so many athletes don't either. It's well documented. You know, there's a number of athletes who can sort of have a bit of a meltdown you know, at the start of a competition and in all sorts of sports. So obviously, yeah. like like you said, like I think a lot of people may think, okay, Mick Fanning, incredible surfer, he was born with that strong mental toughness, mm-hmm. you know, but it's something he developed, like your classic example. Mm-hmm. So with this, as a coach, like who are your clients? Is it all athletes or parameters you much know, wider? Funny, like I thought, I, I thought, okay, obviously my field of experience and expertise is the athlete world. So my clients are all going to be athletes, but then I found myself also really enjoying work more in a life coaching space, which is all to do with personal development. Because the thing is, if you work with athletes, it's I, I feel like a lot of it repeats itself. It's all about high performance, which is fascinating. But I found other aspects of um, personal development equally fascinating. Like, how can you also be happier in life and build, uh, you know, achieve goals that maybe have nothing to do with with your athletic performance? So I'm actually doing. Um, I'm working a lot with people who are in leadership positions. Right. Um, People who it is in the in the area of high performance, but it's not limited just to athletic performance. Yeah, it's also um, performance in terms of becoming really the person that you really want to become and achieving your own personal goals, 
whether that's in work or whether that's in your private life or in relationships or that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you're in California now, right? Um, yeah. So you're having a baby? Yeah. So things have changed. You have retired, you know, like what are we talking? Um, no, it's four or five years since you stopped competing, four years. Yeah. Um, so life sort of the evolution of life just goes on. So um what are you what are your plans now? So staying in California, you're going back to Europe after the baby, what do you So we're gonna have so just to explain my husband's from California, he's a big time surfer. Yeah. Um I love the way you announced your um pregnancy. Oh like riding a longboard and going, look at the bump. <laughs> you know what? That was actually wakeboarding because I couldn't oh, lie it? on my tummy anymore. Ah, oh, of course. You don't have to, right? No. Yeah. So that was possible still wakeboarding. Um, that was one of the surprises in pregnancy. I thought I'd be just like Bethany Hamilton surfing in my third trimester. That didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it. Um, yeah, she's amazing. So uh, back to your question. Oh, yeah, what are my plans? So we're going to have baby here in California. Yep. And then I want to head back to Austria. I mean, I won't be able to head back immediately, but once it's okay to travel again, I'll be back in Lech. And I am going to be offering one to two camps again this winter. Okay. Later in the season, so in April. And because it's later, it won't be a free ride camp this year. It will be a ski touring camp, which I have offered in past years. But I all like the free ride camp is really my signature event um, and where I get also the most uh, groups, usually four groups per event. And um, I'm, since it's going to be later in the season, I'm going to offer a couple of ski touring camps also together okay. with my partner, Audi. Yeah. So I'm still under contract with my sponsors. Um, um, they're supporting me. They understand that pregnancy is a part of uh, natural life as a female yeah. athlete, um, and which is obviously awesome. And I think that's changed. Like I think, I think so. As little, yeah. yeah, as little as maybe five or six <laughs> years ago, you know, female athletes if they got pregnant, it was like bye bye career. Well, it's funny you, you, can't, you can't have both. Yeah, well, mentioning that, I was just before we started the podcast, I just watched um, Cody Townsend's latest episode of The 50. And obviously, oh, cool. I haven't yeah, seen that one yet. Yeah, you've got to watch it. At least yeah. start. He's, you know, they've just had their first baby, and it's interesting because he's talking about how the crux of every line in, in this, you know, there's something difficult. And then he realized the crux of this is having a family now because. They mm-hmm. had to deal with, well, you know, you can't just train when you feel like it. You can't do this. So it's, it's sort of, um, you know, having two kids, I totally understand how you've got to sort of encompass everything in life, but there's no reason for it to slow anyone down. I think that's that's the message. It's sort of, okay, I'll take baby on board, whack, whack my arm and off we go, you know. Well, that's something that, like exactly this question, like does it slow you down, can you have it all, is something that I really want to delve into because like you're suggested a lot that you can have it all. I'm just not sure as a woman if you can have it all at the same time. I'm Uh, not sure. Probably not. Yeah, I do know from like, okay, let's sadly she's not with us anymore. Let's talk about Hillary Nelson. She has achieved incredible feats with her expeditions and she actually said that the hardest thing she's ever had to do is regain her body back after giving birth, after having two babies. It was the hardest thing she's ever had to do physically. Um, And I know that Elise also really, uh, I don't want to say she struggled with that, but she was up against that. and so I, d- I think it would be wrong for women to be like, oh, I'm just going to push out this baby and then it's back to normal. And yeah. who even yeah. wants that? Well, that's not right. You don't want to be like, not like yeah. you're independent, single, and you don't have exactly. someone relying on you all of a sudden. Like hopefully you're having children because you want to have children in your life and things are going to change drastically. Yeah. Um, your priorities are going to change. Your body is going to change. And yes, I think you can find a way to juggle, but 
I think, uh, I don't, yeah. Well, you've got a I, learning pathway ahead of you, haven't you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm I'm old to have babies. I'm 42. Yeah. I like Elise is gosh, I think she had her child at 43 or 44. Mm. Like a lot of women do push and push in terms of age before they have kids because they don't want to give up their career or because they do understand, well, this will have a huge impact on my career and I still haven't quite achieved what I want yet. And you know, I became world champion at 37. I I would not have been ready to to be a mum yet at 37. No. no. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I've learned that fertility is, is a really precious thing. I wouldn't really recommend women to wait as long as I waited. No. Do you I don't think, recommend that. But like you said, I kind of feel like I got away with murder a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. the peak of your career was, your, you know, like late 20s to, you know, 37, 38. So, yeah. Difficult. Yeah. Like you said, you're a late starter in into the whole world of um, free ride, free riding, you know, and then competition. Yeah. Um, and into motherhood, so it's just part of your life. Yeah. Well, life's a you know, <laughs> ever evolving sort of you know adventure, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I looking looking back at it, you know, um, you think of that, uh, you know, you're in year ten, about to head off to Austria again. You would, yeah, you know, getting on the plane at Melbourne for another you know, holiday with your dad in Lek. You would no way you'd be thinking what, how everything has panned out for you and achievements no. and life's directions and you know everything involved. Yeah. I remember when I was fourteen, I told dad, "Dad, I'm going to be the first female ski instructor of the top ski school group." Right. Who is a ski guide? So, you know, after you do level threes, you go on to do your ski guide certification, which is the same as New Zealand offers. It's basically that um, high um, alpine skiing module of the mountain guide certification. And I said to him, I'm going to be the first female ski guide of the 1A ski group. Like I had that goal and I achieved that goal. You know, my dad was already like amazed that his daughter became a certified ski guide there's not that many and like not, not that many female guides yeah and he hadn't achieved that certification so he was like wow you know because he thought us girls were just going to stay in Australia and yeah so but but to have like a, a daughter who actually goes on to be world champion in in a sport and mind you I have to add he was not very supportive initially of that either wasn't but he you might ex- yeah no he was like you know, you you should get a solid job. You're at university. Use your business degree. Like, what did you study for? If all you're going to do is ski powder, like he didn't really. Oh, it's, well, parents, I think it's a, it's a bit frivolous, yeah. you know. I suppose. Um, yeah. I mean, looking at it now, my daughter's doing her HSC maths exam as we speak, mm-hmm. you know? and then she's going to finish school on Monday. She's going either to Europe or Revelstoke. She's going skiing and she wants to yeah. do the qualifiers and make the free ride world tour. That's um, awesome. Like, wow. You know, my son wants to follow a similar, similar path in um, slope style skiing. And so many people say to me, well, yeah, your kid's obsession with skiing, where's it going to take them? What's it going to achieve? Where's their profession in it? That, you know, but as you said earlier, you learnt so much during your time on the free ride world tour, you're taking yeah. you know, life's education comes through many ways in life, not just an institution, you know? So yep. I can kind I of agree. see where your dad's coming from, but at the same time, um, I'm kind of, yeah, it's a two edged thing. I think, oh, you know, maybe they should just go to uni, but then I'm pretty well glorified ski bum myself. So I don't, it sort of works They're out. They're at fault here. I think they're just yeah. following in your footsteps. No, I, I understood why my dad saw it that way. I mean, he grew up so poor. Like, you know, he was born in 1946 in Lech. Like Lech was very poor and my dad never had the opportunities that we were given as yeah. kids, like not even close. Like one really sad story he's told me a couple of times is he got a pair of skis one year. They weren't new. They were like wooden skis but they'd been painted and then he took him out skiing 
and they broke the first time he used them. And then, you know, he was told, oh, you idiot, you broke your own skis. He didn't get another pair until next year. That was like just he, didn't, the winter. he didn't have a pair of skis all winter. Yeah. yeah. He just missed out. Yeah. That was it, you know. So he obviously, you know, his life has been geared towards building material safety and not doing risky things. And here I was like doing the riskiest risking thing. my life as well. And he understood completely the kind of risk that I was um That's what I was gonna taking s- on board. He he gets it. He yeah. gets it. Yeah. yeah. So, so understandable, but Yes, I encourage your kids to do that. I think we can't know the opportunities that will be presented to us. I think it's just important to know what it is you'd like to do. But you can't know how you're going to get there. You don't have to know the how. It's okay not to know the how. It will will show itself and develop. Yeah. I'm convinced about that. Well, that makes me feel better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, (laughs) but I I think... um, and what about your mum? What was her thoughts the whole time through all? Mum was always really supportive. Yeah. Yep. She was, although she did tell me, if you keep living this lifestyle, you're never going to meet a man, you're never going to have kids. <laughs> so, like, eventually she was like, okay, enough of this skiing. Now you have to, like, find <laughs> a man and, like, yeah. and it's important. It's important. Like, it was always important to me to have a, a family. Yeah. It's, yeah. Your husband yeah. is skiing? He is. He's a skier. Yeah. That's how you met skier. through skiing? Yeah. We met through Darren Rowles. Oh, really? Darren, Darren was the Cupid. Oh. Yeah. So cool. So we did meet through the skiing world. Um, Kevin, my husband, knows Darren through motocross, actually. And I got to meet Darren um, when he was wildcarded for the Extreme Verbier, yeah. I think in 17, was it? 16? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's he introduced us. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I suppose immediate plans will um, be dictated by uh, your incoming child and then long term, what are you thinking? You know, who knows? Well, long term, look, I mean, I want to stay in the skiing world. I yeah. have a lot to give. And it's also, um, I think I would like to speak about this before we um, wrap up. Like when you're in this full-on performance mindset, you're just focusing on yourself. Like you're focusing on becoming the best skier you can possibly be. You don't have very much to give in terms of contributing or helping other people. And as I continue progressing in my career, I felt stronger and stronger that I want to give back. Whereas I didn't used to care so much about that. But say I had this really intense phase, a good 10 years, it was a decade of just focusing on me and my skills. It's quite egotistical, you can say, but that's what it takes. I'm convinced that's what it takes. And it's good to have that phase. But then I progressed into feeling like, okay, now I want to give back more. Like my camps are really important to me. My coaching is really important to me. So that's where I see my role now mentoring like taking people like Hedvig on because I feel like I can give back so much um that I've learned and especially because I never did have a coach I feel like hey you know I could really give these people a huge leg up and that motivates me and I think that's important to have in a in a career yeah you know I think that's what's ultimately going to make you love your job as well yeah. When you feel like I can make the lives of these people better. Yeah. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Well, obviously, you know, to sharing your experiences and knowledge is is an awesomely worthwhile thing to take on now. You know, at the right age, you know, it'll take you through to 20 years, your mid-60s when you get your season, yeah. uh, seniors card and away you go. That's right. There's your plan. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right, Lorraine, well, um, awesome to chat. Really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, really I'm, good. I'm glad Thank we you for uh, having me on. Yeah, no, no, it's great. I mean, you know, like I think, uh, you know, Australians um, focus, well, the Australian skiing community is probably aware of you, but um, not as aware. You know, like I, 
<clears throat> when you won the world championship, I remember riding. Australia's got their first world champion in um, free skiing, even though she skis under the yeah, Austrian. I'm going to claim her. I claimed her. <laughs> yeah, no worries, you know. I'm okay with that. You know how the you, you know you can be uh, what the newspapers do when someone wins a Olympic medal, the swimming they you know yep. Al Shane or well, you're Al Lorraine, so there you go. Yeah, and I want to encourage also the Aussies, even if they feel like they maybe don't have quite the opportunities that some other families might have. If you're living in a ski resort or living in the Alps, or you can go really far. Yeah, you know yeah. you you really can. You don't have to just live this one type of life at least I don't think you do no. so I'm, I'm living proof of that you are indeed all right Lorraine thanks again and um, I will talk to you hopefully in the near future and all the best with the the baby thank you and all the best with your kids oh, okay yeah. thanks Lorraine let me know how they go oh don't worry I will I'm one of those annoying awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right okay, okay bye. thank you thank you well, that wraps up another Chill Factor podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please rate, review it, and share it with friends. And we'll be back with another episode in a few weeks. Until then, get out and live and love Australian skiing. And don't forget, you can find us at chillfactor.com. Who's ready to go? Nobody knows snow like reggae or snow. He's ready to blow like an atomic reactor. This is the show.